Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Continuation of Chapter 108, The Truth, Part 5, Answers and Riddles. I ask my second question, Harry said. Tell me about the Philosopher's Stone. Does it do anything besides making transfigurations permanent? Is it possible to make more stones, and why is that problem hard? Professor Quirrell was bent over the potion, and Harry could not see his face. Very well. I shall tell you the stone story as I have inferred it. The one and only power of the stone is the imposition of permanency to render a temporary form into a true and lasting substance, a power absolutely beyond ordinary spells. Conjurations such as the Castle Hogwarts are maintained by a constant well of magic. Even Metamorph Magi cannot manifest golden fingernails and then trim them for sale. It is theorized that the Metamorph Magus curse merely rearranges the substance of their flesh like a muggle smith manipulates iron with hammer and tongs, and their body contains no gold. If Merlin himself could create gold from thin air, history does not record it. So the stone, we can guess even before research, must be a very old thing indeed. In contrast, Nicholas Flamel has been known to the world for a mere six centuries. Tell me the obvious next question to ask, boy, if you wanted to trace the stone's history. Mm. Harry rubbed his forehead, concentrating. If the stone was old, but the world had only known Nicholas Flamel for six centuries... Was there some other very long-lived wizard who disappeared at around the same time Nicholas Flamel showed up? Close. You recall that six centuries ago there was a dark lady called Undying, the sorceress Baba Yaga. She was said to be able to heal any wound in herself, to change shape into any form she pleased. She held the Stone of Permanency, obviously. And then one year Baba Yaga agreed to teach battle magic at Hogwarts under an old and respected truce. Professor Quirrell looked... Angry, a look such as Harry had rarely seen on him. But she was not trusted, and so there was invoked a curse. Some curses are easier to cast when they bind yourself and others alike. Slytherin's parcel-mouth curse is an example of such. In this case, Baba Yaga's signature and signatures from every student and teacher of Hogwarts were placed within an ancient device known as the Goblet of Fire. Baba Yaga swore not to shed a drop of students' blood, nor take from the students anything that was theirs. In return, the students swore not to shed a drop of Baba Yaga's blood, nor take anything that was hers. So they all signed, with the Goblet of Fire to witness it and punish the transgressor. Professor Quirrell picked up a new ingredient, a loose thread of gold wrapped around a pinch of foul-looking substance. Entering her sixth year at Hogwarts, then, was a witch named Purnell, 
and although Purnell was new come into the beauty of her youth, her heart was already blacker than Baba Yaga's own. You're calling her evil? Harry said, then realized he had just committed the fallacy of ad hominem to coque. Hush, boy, I am telling the story. Where was I? Ah, yes, Purnell, the beautiful and covetous. Purnell seduced the Dark Lady over the months with gentle touches and flirtations and the shy pretense of innocence. The Dark Lady's heart was captured and they became lovers. And then one night, Purnell whispered how she had heard of Baba Yaga's shape-changing power and how this thought had inflamed her desires. Thus, Purnell swayed Baba Yaga to come to her with the stone in hand, to assume many guises in a single night, for their pleasures. Among other forms, Purnell bid Baba Yaga take the form of a man, and they lay together in the fashion of a man and a woman. But Purnell had been a virgin until that night, and since they were all rather old-fashioned in those days, the Goblet of Fire accounted that as the shedding of Purnell's blood and the taking of what was hers. Thus, Baba Yaga was tricked into being forsworn, and the goblet rendered her defenseless. Then, Purnell killed the unsuspecting Baba Yaga as she slept in Purnell's bed, killed the dark lady who had loved her, and come peacefully to Hogwarts under truce. And that was the end of the pact by which dark wizards and witches taught battle magic at Hogwarts. For the next few centuries, the Goblet of Fire was used to oversee pointless inter-school tournaments, and then it resided in a disused chamber at Bobatons until I finally stole it. Professor Quirrell dropped a pale beige-pink twig into the cauldron, and its color changed to white just as it touched the surface. But I digress. Purnell took the stone from Baba Yaga and assumed the guise and name of Nicholas Flamel. She also kept her identity as Purnell, calling herself Flamel's wife. The two have appeared together in public, but that might be done by any number of obvious methods. And the stones manufacture? said Harry, his brain working to process all this. I saw an alchemical recipe for it in a book. Another lie. Purnell was making it appear as though Nicholas Flamel had earned the right to live forever by completing a great magic that any could attempt. And she was giving others a false path to pursue instead of seeking the one true stone as Purnell had sought Baba Yaga's. Professor Quirrell looked rather sour. It should come as no surprise that I spent years trying to master that false recipe. Next you will ask why I did not kidnap, torture, and kill Purnell after I learned the truth. This had not, in fact, been a question that had come into Harry's mind. The answer is that Purnell had foreseen and forestalled the ambitions of dark wizards like myself. Nicholas Flamel publicly took unbreakable vows not to be coerced by any means into relinquishing his stone. To guard immortality from the covetous, he claimed as if that were a public service. I was afraid the stone would be lost forever if Purnell died without saying where it was hidden, and her vow prevented attempts at torture. Further, I had hopes of gaining Purnell's knowledge if I could find the right strategy to extract it from her. 
Though Purnell began with little lore of her own, she has held hostage the lives of wizards greater than herself, holding out dribs and drabs of healing in exchange for secrets, and small reversals of age in exchange for power. Purnell does not condescend to bestow any real youth upon others. But if you hear of a wizard who lived, gray-bearded, to the age of 250, you may be sure that her hand was in play. By my own generation, the centuries had given Purnell enough of an advantage that she could raise up Albus Dumbledore as a counterweight to the Dark Lord Grindelwald. When I appeared as Lord Voldemort, Purnell raised up Dumbledore yet further parceling out another drop of her hoarded lore whenever Lord Voldemort seemed to gain an advantage. I felt like I ought to be able to figure out something clever to do with that situation, but I never did. I did not attack her directly, for I was not sure of my great creation. It was not impossible that I would some day need to go begging to her for a dollop of reversed age. Professor Quirrell dropped two bellflowers at once into the potion, and they seemed to merge as they touched the bubbling liquid. But now I am sure of my creation, and so I have decided that the time has come to take the stone by force. Harry hesitated. I would like to hear you answer in parcel tongue. Was all of that true? None of it is known to me to be false. Telling a tale implies filling in certain gaps. I was not present to observe when Purnell seduced Baba Yaga. The basics should be mostly correct, I think. Harry had noticed a trace of confusion. Then I don't understand why the stone is here in Hogwarts. Wouldn't the best defense just be hiding it under an anonymous rock in Greenland? Perhaps you respected my abilities as a particularly good finder. The defense professor appeared focused on his cauldron as he dipped a bellflower into a jar of liquid labeled with the potion symbol for rainwater. We are very much alike, the defense professor and I, in some ways if not others. If I imagine what I'd do, given his problem... Did you bluff everyone into believing you had some way of finding the stone? So that Purnell would put it inside Hogwarts, where Dumbledore could guard it? <sighs> I suppose that stratagem would be futile to conceal from you. Yes. After I possessed Quirrell and returned, I implemented a strategy I had conceived while gazing at the stars. First, I made sure to be accepted as defense professor at Hogwarts, for it would not do to have suspicions raised while I was still seeking employment. When that was done, I arranged for one of Purnell's curse-breaking expeditions to discover a falsified but credible inscription describing how the crown of the serpent could be used to seek out the stone wherever it was hidden. Immediately after, before Purnell could buy up the crown, it was stolen. Furthermore, I left clear indications that the thief had possessed the power to speak to snakes. So Purnell thought that I could infallibly find the stone's location, and that it needed a guardian powerful enough to defeat me. That is how the stone came to be held in Hogwarts, in Dumbledore's domain. Just as I intended, naturally, since I had already gained access to Hogwarts for the year. I think that is all of this that concerns you, if I speak not of future plans. Harry frowned. 
Professor Quirrell should not have told him that. Unless the strategy had somehow become irrelevant to any future deceptions of Purnell? Of course, by answering so quickly, the defense professor had hoped to have people conclude that it was a double bluff, and that the crown of the serpent really could find the stone. Harry decided not to question this answer in parcel tongue. Another lock of bright hair, seeming white but not with age, was gently dribbled into the cauldron, again reminding Harry that they were on a time limit. Harry considered, but he couldn't see any further path to pursue this line of questioning. There was no known way to manufacture more philosopher's stones, and no obvious way to invent such. Which was probably the objectively worst news Harry had heard all day. Harry took a deep breath. I ask my third question. What's the truth behind this entire school year? All the plots you ran, all the plots you know about. Hmm. Professor Quirrell dropped another bellflower into the potion, accompanied by a plant shape like a tiny cross. Let me see. The most shocking twist is that the defense professor turns out to be secretly Voldemort. Well, obviously, Harry said, with a good deal of self-directed bitterness. Then where do you wish me to start? Why did you kill Hermione? The question just slipped out. Professor Quirrell's pale eyes glanced up from the potion, watching him intently. One would think that should be evident. But I suppose I cannot blame you for distrusting what seems evident. To understand the object of an obscure plot, observe its consequences, and ask who might have intended them. I killed Miss Granger to improve your position relative to that of Lucius Malfoy, since my plans did not call for him to have so much leverage over you. I admit I am impressed by how far you managed to parlay that opening. Harry unclenched his teeth, which took an effort. That's after your failed attempt to frame Hermione for the attempted murder of Draco and send her to Azkaban because of why? Because you didn't like the influence she was having on me? Don't be ridiculous. If I had only wished to remove Miss Granger, I would not have brought the Malfoys into it. I observed your game with Draco Malfoy and found it amusing but I knew it could not continue for very long before Lucius learned and intervened. And then your folly would have brought you great trouble, for Lucius would not take it lightly. Had you just been able to lose during the Wizengamot trial, lose as I had taught you, then in only two more weeks, ironclad evidence would have shown that Lucius Malfoy, after discovering his son's seeming perfidy, had imperioused Professor Sprout into using the blood-cooling charm on Mr. Malfoy and casting the false memory charm on Miss Granger. Lucius would have been swept off the political game board, sent to exile if not Azkaban. Draco Malfoy would have inherited the wealth of House Malfoy, and your influence over him would have been unchallenged. Instead, I had to abort that plot in mid-course. You managed to completely disrupt the real plan in the course of sacrificing double your entire fortune by giving Lucius Malfoy the perfect opportunity to prove his true concern for his son. You have an incredible anti-talent for meddling, I must say. And you also thought... 
Even with his dark side's patterns, Harry had to work to keep his voice level and cool. That two weeks in Azkaban would improve Miss Granger's disposition and get her to stop being a bad influence on me. So you somehow arranged for there to be newspaper stories calling for her to be sent to Azkaban rather than some other penalty. Professor Quirrell's lips drew up in a thin smile. Good catch, boy. Yes, I thought she might serve as your Bellatrix. That particular outcome would also have provided you with a constant reminder of how much respect was due the law, and helped you develop appropriate attitudes towards the Ministry. Your plot was stupidly complicated and had no chance of working. Harry knew that he ought to be more tactful, that he was engaging in more of what Professor Quirrell called folly, but in that instant he could not bring himself to care. It was less complicated than Dumbledore's plot to have the three armies tie in the Christmas battle, and not much more complicated than my own plot to make you think Dumbledore had blackmailed Mr. Zabini. The insight you are missing, Mr. Potter, is that these were not plots that needed to succeed. Professor Quirrell continued to casually stir the potion, smiling. There are plots that must succeed, where you keep the core idea as simple as possible and take every precaution. There are also plots where it is acceptable to fail, and with those you can indulge yourself, or test the limits of your ability to handle complications. It was not as if something going wrong with any of those plots would have killed me. Professor Quirrell was no longer smiling. Our journey into Azkaban was of the first type, and I was less amused by your antics there. What exactly did you do to Hermione? Some part of Harry wondered at the evenness of his voice. Obliviations and false memory charms. I could not trust anything else to go undetected by the Hogwarts wards and the scrutiny I knew her mind would undergo. A flicker of frustration crossed Professor Quirrell's face. Part of what you rightly call complication is because the first version of my plot did not go as planned and I had to modify it. I came to Miss Granger in the hallways wearing the appearance of Professor Sprout to offer her a conspiracy. My first attempt at suasion failed. I obliviated her and tried again with a new presentation. The second bait failed. The third bait failed. The tenth bait failed. I was so frustrated that I began going through my entire library of guises, including those more appropriate to Mr. Zabini. Still nothing worked. The child would not violate her childish code. You do not get to call her childish, Professor. Harry's voice sounded strange in his own ears. Her code worked. It prevented you from tricking her. The whole point of having deontological ethical injunctions is that arguments for violating them are often much less trustworthy than they look. You don't get to criticize her rules when they worked exactly as intended. After they resurrected Hermione, Harry would tell her that Lord Voldemort himself hadn't been able to tempt her into doing wrong. And that was why he'd killed her. Fair enough, I suppose. There is a saying that even a stopped clock is right twice a day, and I do not think Miss Granger was actually being reasonable. Still, Rule 10. One must not rant about the opposition's unworthiness after they have foiled you. Regardless, 
After two full hours of failed attempts, I realized I was being overstubborn, and I did not need Miss Granger to carry out the exact part I had planned for her. I gave up on my original intent, and instead imbued Miss Granger with false memories of watching Mr. Malfoy plotting against her under circumstances that implied she should not tell you or the authorities. In the end, it was Mr. Malfoy who gave me the opening I needed, entirely by luck. Professor Quirrell dropped a bellflower and a scrap of parchment into the cauldron. Why did the wards show the defense professor as having killed Hermione? I wore the mountain troll as a false tooth, while Dumbledore was identifying me to the Hogwarts wards as the defense professor. A slight smile. Other living weapons cannot be transfigured. They will not survive the disenchantment for the requisite six hours to avoid being traced by Time Turner. The fact that a mountain troll was used as a weapon of assassination was a clear sign that the assassin had needed a proxy weapon that could be transfigured safely. Combined with the evidence of the wards and Dumbledore's own knowledge of how he had identified me to Hogwarts, you could have deduced who was responsible, in theory. However, experience has taught me that such puzzles are far harder to solve when you do not already know the solution, and I considered it a small risk. Ah, that reminds me. I have a question of my own. The defense professor was now giving Harry an intent look. What gave me away at the last, in the corridor outside these chambers? Harry put aside other emotions to weigh up the cost and benefit of answering honestly, came to the conclusion that the defense professor was giving away far more information than he was getting. Why? And that it was best not to give the appearance of reticence. The main thing was that it was too improbable that everyone had arrived in Dumbledore's corridor at the same time. I tried running with the hypothesis that everyone who arrived had to be coordinated, including you. But I had said that I was following Snape. Was that not plausible? It was, but... Um... The laws governing what constitutes a good explanation don't talk about plausible excuses you hear afterward. They talk about the probabilities we assign in advance. That's why science makes people do advanced predictions instead of trusting explanations people come up with afterward. And I wouldn't have predicted in advance for you to follow Snape and show up like that. Even if I'd known in advance that you could put a trace on Snape's wand, I wouldn't have expected you to do it and follow him just then. Since your explanation didn't make me feel like I would have predicted the outcome in advance, it remained an improbability. I started to wonder if Sprout's mastermind might have arranged for you to show up too. And then I realized the note to myself hadn't really come from future me, and that gave it away completely. Ah. Well, I think it is all working out for the best. You did understand only too late, and there would have been inconveniences as well as benefits to you remaining unaware. What on earth were you trying to do? The reason I was trying so hard to figure it out was that the whole thing was just so weird. That should have pointed at Dumbledore, not myself. Professor Quirrell frowned. The fact is that Miss Greengrass was not supposed to arrive in that corridor for several hours. Though I suppose, since I did have Mr. Malfoy give her the clue I assigned her, it is not too surprising that they banded together. 
had Mr. Knott arrived seemingly alone, events would have played out less farcically. But I consider myself a specialist in battlefield control magics, and I was able to ensure that the fight went as I wished. I suppose it did end up looking a bit ridiculous. The defense professor dropped a peach slice and a bellflower into the cauldron. But let us defer our discussion of the mirror until we reach it. Did you have any more questions concerning Miss Granger's regrettable and hopefully temporary demise? Yes. What did you do to the Weasley twins? Dumbledore thought... I mean, the school saw the headmaster go to the Weasley twins after Hermione was arrested. Dumbledore thought you, as Voldemort, had wondered why Dumbledore had done so, and that you'd checked on the Weasley twins, found and took their map, and obliviated them afterward? Dumbledore was quite correct, Professor Quirrell said, shaking his head as though in wonderment. He was also an utter fool to leave the Hogwarts map in the possession of those two idiots. I had an unpleasant shock after I recovered the map. It showed my name and yours correctly. The Weasley idiots had thought it a mere malfunction, especially after you received your cloak and your time-turner. If Dumbledore had kept the map himself, if the Weasley twins had ever spoken of it to Dumbledore... But they did not, thankfully. Showed my name and yours correctly. I would like to see that. Without taking his eyes from the cauldron, Professor Quirrell drew a folded parchment from within his robes, hissed at it, Show our surroundings, and tossed the folded parchment toward Harry. It cut unerringly through the air, an increase of doom breathing on Harry's senses as it moved toward him and then it fluttered gently to Harry's feet. Harry picked up the parchment and unfolded it. At first, the parchment seemed blank. Then, as though an unseen pen were moving across it, the outline of walls and doors appeared, all drawn in handwritten lines. The writing outlined a series of chambers, most of them shown as empty. The last chamber had a series of confused scribbles in its center, as though the map were trying to indicate its own bewilderment and the second-to-last chamber showed two names within, written in position within the chamber corresponding to where Harry was sitting and Professor Quirrell was standing. Tom M. Riddle. Tom M. Riddle. Harry gazed at the parchment, an unpleasant chill coming over him. It was one thing to hear Lord Voldemort claim that your name was Tom Riddle. It was another thing to find that Hogwarts magic agreed. Did you tamper with this map to achieve this result, or did it appear before you by surprise? Was surprised, replied Professor Quirrell with an overtone of hissing laughter. No tricks. Harry folded the map and threw it back in Professor Quirrell's direction. Some force caught it in midair before it reached the floor and drew the map back into Professor Quirrell's robes. I should also like to volunteer that Snape was guiding Miss Granger and her underlings toward bullies, and sometimes intervening to protect them. I knew that. Interesting. Did Dumbledore also learn of this? Answer in parcel tongue. Not so far as I know. Fascinating. You may be interested to know this as well. 
potions maker had to work in secret because his plot opposed schoolmaster's plot. Harry thought about this while Professor Quirrell blew on the potion as though to cool it, though the fire still burned under the cauldron, then added a pinch of dirt and a drop of water and a bellflower. Please explain. Has it never occurred to you to wonder why Dumbledore chose Severus Snape as the head of House Slytherin? To say that it was a cover for his work as Dumbledore spy explains nothing. Snape could have been a potions master only, and not the head of Slytherin at all. Snape could have been made keeper of grounds and keys if he needed to stay within Hogwarts. Why the head of House Slytherin? Surely it occurred to you that this could not have had good effects upon the Slytherins, according to Dumbledore's moral pretenses? The thought hadn't occurred to Harry in exactly those terms, no. I wondered something like it. I didn't put the dilemma in that precise form. And now that you have, is the solution obvious? No. Disappointing. You have not learned enough cynicism. You have not grasped the flexibility of what moralists call morality. To fathom a plot, look at the consequences, and ask if they might be intended. Dumbledore was deliberately sabotaging Slytherin House. Don't give me that look, boy. I am speaking truth. During the last Wizarding War, Slytherins filled out my ranks of underlings, and other Slytherins in the Wizengamot supported me. Look at it from Dumbledore's perspective, and remember that he has no native understanding of Slytherin's ways. Think of Dumbledore becoming increasingly sad over the Hogwarts house that seems the source of so much ill-doing. And then behold... Dumbledore puts in as head of Slytherin the person of Snape. Snape! Severus Snape! A man who would teach his house neither cunning nor ambition. A man who would impose lax discipline and make its children weak. A man who would offend students of other houses, who would ruin Slytherin's name among them. A man whose surname was unknown in Magical Britain and certainly not noble who went about half in rags. Do you think Dumbledore ignorant of the consequences? When Dumbledore was the one who brought it about and had motive to bring it about. I expect Dumbledore told himself that more lives would be saved during the next Wizarding War if Voldemort's future Death Eaters were weakened. Professor Quirrell dropped into the cauldron a chip of ice, slowly melting as it touched the surface froth. Continue the process long enough, and no child would want to go to Slytherin. The house would be retired, and if the hat kept calling the name, it would be a mark of ignominy among children who would afterward be distributed among the other three houses. From that day on, Hogwarts would have the three upstanding houses of courage and scholarship and industry, with no house of bad children added to the mix. Just as if the three founders of Hogwarts had been wise enough in the beginning to refuse Salazar Slytherin their company. That, I expect, was Dumbledore's intended endgame. A short-term sacrifice for the greater good. Professor Quirrell smiled sardonically. 
and Lucius let it all happen without protest, or even, I expect, noticing that anything was going awry. I fear that in my absence, my former servants have been quite outmatched in this battle of wits. Harry was having a bit of trouble taking this in, but decided, after some thought, that now was not the time to try to work it out. Whether Lord Voldemort believed it was not decisive. Harry would have to evaluate this accusation on his own. Professor Quirrell's mention of his servants had reminded Harry of something else that he was... obligated, Harry supposed, to ask. The bad news was predictable. On any other day, it would have been horrible. Today, it would just wash out in the flood. Bellatrix Black, what was the truth about her? She was broken inside before I ever met her. Professor Quirrell picked up what looked like a white-gray rubber band and held it over the cauldron. As the rubber was held within the steam, it turned black. Using legitimacy on her was a mistake. But that glimpse showed me how easy it would be to make her fall in love with me, so I did. Ever after, she was the most faithful of all my servants, the only one I could almost trust. I had no intention of giving her what she wanted from me, so I commended her to the Lestrange brothers for their use, and the three of them were happy, in their own special way. I doubt it, Harry said, mostly on autopilot. If that were true, Bellatrix wouldn't have remembered who the Lestrange brothers were when we found her in Azkaban. Professor Quirrell shrugged. You may be right. What the hell were we actually doing there? Finding out where Bellatrix had put my wand, I had told the Death Eaters of my immortality, in the hope, now proven futile, that they would stay together for at least a few days if I appeared to die. Bellatrix's instructions were to recover my wand from wherever my body had been slain, and take that wand to a certain graveyard where my spirit would appear before her. Harry swallowed. The image came to him of Bellatrix Black waiting, waiting, waiting at the graveyard in increasing desperation. It was no wonder she hadn't been thinking strategically when she attacked the Longbottom's household. What did you do with Bellatrix once she was out? Sent her to a peaceful place to recover her strength. A cold smile. I had a use remaining for her or rather, a certain portion of her, and on my future plans I shall not answer questions. Harry breathed deeply, trying to maintain control. Were there any other secret plots in this school year? Oh, a fair number, but not many more that concern you, not that I can think of offhand. The true reason I demanded to try to teach the Patronus charm to first years was to bring a Dementor before your own person. And then I arranged for your wand to fall where the Dementor could continue to drain you through it. Was no malice in it. Only hopes that you would recover some of your true memories. That was also why I arranged for certain witches to pull you down from the air during your rooftop episode. So I could appear to save your life just in case any suspicion fell on me during the Dementor incident I had scheduled for shortly after. Also, no malice there. 
I arranged some of the attacks on Miss Granger's group so that the attacks could be defeated. I do rather dislike bullies. Think that is all secret plots concerning you from this school year, unless I have forgotten something. Life lesson learned, said his Hufflepart. Try to resist the temptation to randomly meddle in other people's lives. Like, you know, Padma Patil's life. If you don't want to end up like this, that is. A pinch of red-brown dust was gently sifted into the potion's cauldron, and Harry asked his fourth and final question, the one that had seemed to have the lowest priority, but still mattered. End second part of chapter 108. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't done so yet, please consider leaving a rating or review at iTunes. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. The music used is The Fall by Ministry. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the conclusion to Chapter 108, The Truth, Part 5, Answers and Riddles. Wow.